From the Centre for Advancing Journalism at the University of Melbourne, this is The Yarn. I'm Thomas Phillips. Welcome to Chisholm's Choice, Part 2. This week, we're zeroing in on one of the most heated battlegrounds in this month's election, the electorate of Chisholm in Victoria. Last time, we heard from reporter Petra Stock about why the seat is so important. Today, we'll hear about two very different Chisholm voters and the issues they're most passionate about. One is a teenager voting in her first ever federal election. The second has been voting for over a decade. First up, reporter Megan Danzi tells us about her reporting on Matthew Veritas, a 34-year-old father and business owner who began questioning his long-held political beliefs in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. I started off by asking Megan about the main concerns Matthew will be taking to the ballot box this month. Yeah, I think something that came up a lot is a frustration with how the pandemic has played out in Victoria over the past two years. Interviewing Matthew, it was sort of hard to move him past this really pent-up sense of frustration. You couldn't move past the state issues influencing how he perceived federal labour, but also how he perceived the coalition. And that was, in his eyes, a failure to act and intervene on draconian measures that the Labour government in Victoria had implemented throughout the lockdown. And you write about how he kind of became more politically engaged during the pandemic. Can you talk a little bit about that process? Definitely on the social media side of things, he became more engaged with, as he saw it, political activism in that space. He wouldn't really go into specifics of what that meant, but he became more politically interested in the sense that I I think before the pandemic, he hadn't really ever engaged in politics, didn't really know, uh, didn't really care, didn't really have a passionate stance one way or another towards the different parties. But I think when the pandemic, because it, you know, it did reach into individual people's lives in a way that that it, it produced passion about politics, often in the negative sense, in a way it hasn't really before. And I think this made him, as he put it, more politically active in the sense that he engaged with other people who were also frustrated And particularly, you know, he admits that was primarily through social media, but he also said that if his wife hadn't been pregnant at the time, he would have been at every anti-lockdown protest that happened that we, you know, saw in the Melbourne CBD for, for months on end. So that was quite a strong statement. And I think that obviously means he was engaged with those communities So what kind of specific impacts did the pandemic restrictions have on him and his family and his business? He, yeah, owns his own business. And I think the the biggest thing for him was that he had to mandate vaccination requirements for all of his workers. And I think he was incredibly frustrated that, you know, he he had to mandate something that he didn't really feel like his was his responsibility. He felt like, he it was an overstep and that the government was pushing i guess this responsibility onto him um he kept sort of repeating what right did he have to to mandate whether people got the vaccination or not and i think for him he didn't really see it as his 
responsibility to mandate something over others, like bodily autonomy. It, it was an interesting discussion. I think also because he, you know, his wife was pregnant. He lives um, in sort of like a granny flat, like detached house with his wife um, and, you know, now their newborn child at the back of his parents' house in Mount Waverley. And I think when you consider in that family context of his dad was from Cyprus originally and immigrated to Australia as a refugee, um, and I think that cultural perspective of the only other time, you know, his father had been under sort of restrictions that were that strict on his movement was when Cyprus was under sort of martial law and when he fled to come to Australia. So who is Matthew leaning towards voting for in this upcoming election? The Liberal Democrats, who are a minor party, and particularly their candidate in Chisholm, Ethlyn King. She is a Chisholm local, and I guess it's a local party as well. They've got their headquarters in Mount Waverley. So I think, you know, he probably feels like this is like a, a local party and, and sort of an alternative to his disenfranchisement with the, with the bigger parties who he feels like has failed him and, and failed Victorians in particular over the past two years. The Liberal Democrats are I'd, libertarian in their sort of policy suite. They, they have a freedom manifesto, which is all about, as they call it, regaining freedoms that have been, they see have been stripped away over the past two years. Ethelyn King herself on the Liberal Democrats' website talks about, you know, the last two years of, quote, creeping authoritarianism, government overreach and lack of accountability as being a motivator for her to join politics. And, you know, they, they do say on their website that they take ideas from both sides of the political spectrum, but the way I see it, they are a libertarian party. And I think that for him in terms of the political beliefs that he's really strengthened over the past two years, his political party actually does match up with his ideology. So Matthew voted for his first federal election back in 2007 at the age of 19. Can you tell listeners a little bit about his voting history since then? Sure. He voted for Kevin O'Seven's campaign, uh, Kevin Rudd, who led the Labour Party to quite a landslide victory against John Howard in 2007. He then sort of changed tracks and, and he says this was primarily because of Labour's economic management and he, he does describe himself as a bit more socially conservative as well and he, he sort of changed tracks and started voting for the coalition and has voted for them in every election after that. He's not frustrated with the leadership in the sense of he he feels like, I think something he said to me was that he feels like Scott Morrison has been sort of thrown under the bus, was his words. And so he it's not a frustration, a deep frustration with the coalition that's making him look for alternatives, but I think it's sort of a broader sense of political frustration with politics in Australia as a whole he does feel like the coalition didn't stand up enough to what he saw as dictated Dan's authoritarian rule. And I think it'll be interesting to see in Chisholm people like Matthew looking for those alternatives, looking for those minor parties that they feel like better represent their interests. 
So did you get much of a sense of how much of, you know, a typical or atypical voter Matthew is in, in Chisholm? Like what makes him an interesting case study for readers, do you think? I do think that it's an incredibly diverse electorate. And I do think that, you know, there would be other people like Matthew that live there. Um, he definitely, you know, he has a reach into the Greek community in Chisholm, which has quite a strong presence there. I, you know, he did say that these ideas aren't shared over the whole of his friendship group and family, but I do think that, you know, he does have friends that do agree with him. And I think that, you know, particularly in the context of a lot of these communities that have, you know, sort of manifested in Australia out of immigration, out of fleeing from violence and from from war-torn countries, I think there, you know, sometimes is a really strong emphasis on personal freedoms and wariness about overstepping government mandates as, as they perceive them. But yeah, it's an incredibly diverse electorate. It's held on a margin of 0.5%. And so I, I think the interesting thing about Chisholm is that you can't pin it down to one political theme or one votership. It's culturally diverse, it's politically diverse, and it'll be really interesting to see what happens this election. Megan, thanks so much for your time. Thank you very much. That was Megan Dancy. You can read her article about Matthew in The Citizen and Crikey. Next up, Sean Roos tells us about his reporting on Kira Hatsakosmidis, a high school climate activist. I started off by asking Sean what concerns are front of mind for Kira this election. Uh, number one would be climate change, the need for all parties, regardless of who gets in, to concede the urgency of the issue. Um, secondly, she's also concerned with Indigenous affairs and the need for a, a voice in Parliament and also learning from First Nations people about how to deal with the climate and protect the environment. She's also a activist with the um, School Strike for Climate Movement, which was the organisation that kind of staged a lot of those um, climate uh, marches that we've seen throughout Australia in the last few years. You write about how Kira only recently became interested in climate issues. What inspired this? Yeah, so interestingly, her she was saying her immediate family, her parents, aren't very political at all. So she probably doesn't come from the mould that most people would expect of a teenage activist. She heard about the organization through um, a friend of hers who actually went to court to um, take the current environment minister, I think, um, Suzanne Lee, to court to argue that they had a duty of care to young people to, um, you know, protect the environment, essentially. Uh, so that action really was the moment that she switched on to the whole issue. And she was saying that throughout the lockdown, it actually gave her the time and chance to really investigate, you know, the issue further. Can you tell me a little bit about the Chisholm Climate Forum that Kira helped organize over this past weekend? So School Strike for Climate is a kind of um, nonpartisan um, group of uh, school students. Um, so people who uh, have all gotten together um, around the country and they put on various actions to pretty much just promote the, the need for climate action. They saw the opportunity in Chisholm, which is a very marginal seat, to really get climate change on the agenda and push every candidate, regardless of their party, on the issue. The forum was on the 30th in Box Hill Town Hall. Um, they invited every candidate 
In the end, only five made it. The most notable absence was Gladys Liu, the liberal candidate. There's a bit of controversy there. It it echoes Josh Frydenberg's decision just last week to uh, not attend a similar kind of forum that was put on in his electorate of Kuyong. Yeah, uh, a lot of the attendees and the organisers at the forum were were really disappointed to see Gladys not not show up and and you know stand by her policies if that's what she believed in. So yeah, it felt like a to them a bit like a you know just avoiding the issue. How has Kira been encouraging other young people to enrol in the election? When I brought this up with her, she was talking about that the um, a lot of young people like didn't quite know the process. So her and her group and a lot of her contemporaries really pushed all their um, all their friends and and acquaintances to sign up to vote. And she said that was a really rewarding experience. How typical is Kira as a Chisholm voter and why should listeners be interested in her story? She's definitely on the more engaged side. So the fact that I guess she is an organiser and putting on these events and part of the um, SS4C group um, probably points to the fact that she's more engaged than a lot of her contemporaries. In saying that, I got the sense that young people, by and large, are very invested in the um, issue of climate change and probably see it as one of the most important issues for them. And maybe while they're not as uh, engaged in a day-to-day level with the election, it, it, it seems that there's a lot of consensus around that. Sean, thanks so much for your time. No worries. Thank you. That was Sean Roos. You can read his article about Kira in The Citizen and Crikey. You've been listening to part two of Chisholm's Choice. A massive thank you to reporters Sean Roos and Megan Dancy. Our executive producer is Louisa Lim. The Yarn is produced at the Centre for Advancing Journalism at the University of Melbourne. I'm Thomas Phillips. See you next week.